Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. On this episode, Pastor Lance Hahn and I are joined by Bridgeway's Care and Compassion Manager, David Heitzler, for a conversation about mental health. Mental health challenges are very common in our society, and we want to look at how our faith equips us to faith face our own mental health challenges and serve those who are struggling in our community. All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello. Welcome to Engaging Culture. I'm Brian Kiley, and I'm having trouble with my <laughs> TH sounds today, but that's They're all hard. right. I feel uh, like you had extra coffee today. Uh, you know, I kind of feel that way. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I am not a morning person at all, Okay, but I'm learning to become one. Aww. I went to bed at 8.45 last night and got up at 4.30. How I old think are you? You are a champion. I have what? turned into an old man wow. overnight. Me from two weeks ago would be so ashamed of what I've become. <laughs> so we're just going to say that's why I'm all messed up this morning. Okay. Um, we'll we're do still that. in the morning, right? Anyway, uh, joined by... Lance Hahn. I'm Pastor Lance Hahn. How are you? Hey, and Hi, we have the one and only David Heitzler, whose nickname is Sonny. Okay, I'm going to really struggle with that. No way we get through the episode without dropping that. Calling so. him Sonny. I don't I don't know who David is. Me neither. That's very strange. It's very confusing. I'm glad it we've confused is. everyone. Everyone. Listening. We have mm-hmm. David, parenth- uh, quotation marks, Sonny Heitzler. Sonny's I'm been with me my here. whole life. It depends on how, how clinical yeah. you want me to be, if yeah. you're going to call me David or Sonny. Um, so it's up to you. I think it's yeah. more of a Sonny type conversation. Uh, it sounds good. <laughs> and it's important that our audience knows that uh, Sonny is a fellow Sacramento Kings fan. So, hey uh, Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah. He was my date to the open to opening night at Golden One Center. Oh, that's very fun. cool. We had a good time. We had the best time. Even though the Kings lost, but that's all right. Uh, by the way, uh, what is the record as it stands right now? Six and four, which Six is much four. better than uh-huh. I was expecting. Boom. I think you and the rest of the entire world, <laughs> the rest including of the Kings humanity. organization, <laughs> the Kings themselves are shocked. How did this happen? Uh, uh, but yes. it's still early. Plenty of time to uh, screw that up. Yes, for the ship to sink. But yes. we're happy with how it's going so excited far. For all of it. Um, Sonny, very excited to have you with us uh, today. We're talking uh, mental health. Obviously, you work in our care and compassion department. You are uh, in an M- MFT program. Yeah, I, I, I should finished, say that I much more confidently. I finished the MFT program, which is nice. Hey, there we go. All I right. accomplished something. And now that's you're, right. You're in your hours. That's yeah, what you're doing right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. I swear I'm not a terrible friend. Um, so you're in that in that world. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your background and your interest in the mental health field. Yeah, I well, I grew up in a Christian family, and I didn't know what I wanted to do as a kid, um, like most kids feel. And I I actually was going through junior college and stuff, thinking I wanted to do engineering. I loved like problem solving. I loved, I loved thinking about finding the solution to things. And I got to math. Um, and I realized that I don't, I don't care that much about problems. I care more about people. I, there was always these two parts to me. There was analytical and this part that was just was sensitive. And, and I wanted to, I needed a, I needed a reason to, to analyze things or to actually engage with and, and have, feel like I'm, I'm caring about people's lives. So that, that took me towards psychology and it took me towards something that, that, that combines those things a little bit, but that's what I went through Jessup and Western seminary and finished with a degree in therapy. And, um, and I'm here now, but you're here now. I've been at Bridgeway's for seven years, man. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. It is. It's, it's crazy. I would think that you were more like Jesus by now. 
Yeah, yeah. I, that's, <laughs> totally that's, kidding. So what went wrong? First response. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm totally kidding. Um, uh, you are a great representation of Christ. I love the fact that you are so visible as a leader in our care and compassion department. So for those of you that do attend Bridgeway, usually you can find uh, Sonny out in our lobby. He runs uh, the table for care and compassion, and he is very present, I would say. So it's it's super neat to have you as a leader of that because you have such a beautiful spirit towards health and healing. So anyway, I'm a big fan of yours. You know that, though. I appreciate that. Amen. Uh, Ditto. Now, uh, David, you you shared something during our our prep for this episode that I thought was pretty interesting. You have a definition of mental health that you like. Uh, Can you share that definition with us and then maybe talk a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah. The well, what is mental health is such a hard question. It's yeah. such it feels so elusive, and it's just like some people don't have a scope for even talking about mental health. Like it feels like that's just something that doctors think about or or shrinks think about. And I think the best definition I've heard going through years of school and and asking myself questions like this is from a is from a psychiatrist named Daniel Siegel, and he he's a secular psychiatrist. He has a lot of good stuff. Um, if you've ever heard of him or want to look into him, um, but his his definition is that mental health basically boils down to the concept of integration. And, and by that, he means that we, we integrate every part of our lives and our history and our experiences together. And if there's something going wrong, there's something that's, that, that our emotions or our thoughts or our, our relationships are kind of distorted, it's usually because there's something we're avoiding. Mm-hmm. There's something that we're not, we're not wanting to face or we're trying to compensate for. And that's um, and it's simple, but it's so profound in the sense of how it brings it it brings some articulation to what that even looks like. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to that, and I think the Bible even speaks to it. But yeah, I mean, integration itself is not a especially deep idea, but mm-hmm. it's one of those ideas that kind of to reiterate what you said, it's a simple concept with vast and wide ranging implications. The yeah. idea of the different kind of elements of our lives are integrated. We're going to be healthy, but if we're avoiding different things, suppressing different things, obviously, I mean, you see a lot of that in in the work that you do. That's where we start to run into challenges, right? Yeah. 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 Now, Lance, getting to you, uh, you have written some books about the brain and and how the brain works. And uh, you've written one in particular, uh, your first book, How to Live in Fear, was all about anxiety and panic disorder. So we've got Sonny, kind of on the, the clinical side here. You've got you on the pastoral side. Obviously, mental health is very personal to you. Uh, why is that? Yeah, and that's that's because it is literally personal to me. I, I grew up with uh, mental health issues, um, which is panic disorder. So I have not only generalized anxiety disorder, but um, a panic disorder is a very narrow portion of that, um, where there was a time as a child when I was actually to the place of agoraphobia. And so I've, I've wrestled with it my entire life. I take medicine for Real quick, for, for those who don't know, what is agoraphobia? Agoraphobia is the inability to be in outside spaces. Uh, a lot of times it's linked to a social disorder to where you can't be around people. So the idea that you would go out into an open space and there would be people there, that is terrifying. So you stay in a safe environment, which is usually your home. So uh, people that are extraordinarily um, agoraphobic do never leave their home. They're actually they're actually shut-ins. But, but the idea of uh, suffering through irrational thought processes and not being able to just control and think whatever I want to think or live however I want to live, mm-hmm. that that reality has been mine since my earliest memory. So mm-hmm. 
Anyway, yeah, it's very, very personal. So I'm going to come at it from a practical standpoint. I'm going to come at it from a spiritual standpoint, mm-hmm. right? In this discussion, I am not trained in the same way that Sonny is, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going to have some expertise that I'm not going to have. Yeah. And even through your writing and through the way this, ways that you've talked about your own experience with anxiety and panic disorder, that, of course, has rustled up all sorts of other people to come to you and to talk about their different mental health challenges. So that I would imagine that's given you, and this isn't something you and I have really talked about, but it's given you kind of a unique perspective in that I think people see you as a safe person maybe to talk to because of your own experience. Yeah. In in an extraordinary way. Um, It's so much so that because once, once you bridge into that conversation, right? And you start talking about, hey, we're all broken and we're real people and we all have issues. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, everyone starts talking about who they really are. Yeah. And it feels like, it's not true, but it feels like everyone has mental health issues. <laughs> like, especially, and, and, and technically they do, mm-hmm. yeah. which we're going to talk about in a moment. But um, in the extreme side, even Bridgeway, knowing that it's a safe place where the pastor is going to jump out ahead of everybody else, they're willing to come here because it is a safe location. So we do have an extraordinary amount of people that struggle with things like depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. schizophrenia and and challenges uh, in that, that mental health field. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And not just to speak to that, I honestly, it's funny because people people will, it, it's one of those things where people don't know how to treat it exactly. And they're mm-hmm. like, they're right. quite, like the question is, oh, well, you work in soul care. Are you guys busy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so like, what do you how, do? How's business? Like, yes. and, and that's so, it, over the years, it's been so funny to me to wrestle with that. But I've, it's really settled in to where, Along the lines of what you're talking about, Lance, it's everybody has issues. Yeah. Everybody has something that where if, if there's a safe place for us to take those things and to actually be seen and to actually feel like that it can be held in a in a constructive way, there's the, as busy as we can be in yeah. the mental health or the counseling world, the more good is coming from right. that. The more the right. the the more prepared we are to engage with God without our 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 flesh ourselves getting in in the way. So right. it it's such a um, it is such a positive thing. And, and it's become like yes, we are busy and, and praise God like yeah. that, that they're able to. Well, it's out there. You're either going to yeah, deal yeah. with it or you're not. I yeah, mean, exactly. the idea that people go, oh, are you in counseling? Yeah. Like as if that's a negative, and yeah, you yeah. go. Oh, you're jacked. You're just not in counseling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, the I'm fact- being honest about my issues. <laughs> yeah. So you're not only messed up, but you're also in denial. So right. praise the Lord. Right. So along those lines, you guys have both kind of touched on this a second ago. Uh, it seems like in a lot of, certainly in a lot of Christian circles, but but not even exclusively in Christian circles, right. in secular circles as well, uh, there is still kind of a stigma around mental health, and there's talk about the need to remove the stigma. So I want to take this question in in two parts. First of all, uh, why does that stigma exist? Sonny, let's start with you and kind of seeing it from the clinical perspective. Mm. Why why do you think that exists? So many reasons. (laughs) (laughs) For the next Uh, three hours. Pick your favorite 12. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. I Well, I guess I'll talk a little bit about from the mental health uh, historical side of things that I I can speak to is just... I think that there's there has been friction between the idea of psychology and the idea of religion or faith in America's history, Western history, mm-hmm. since the dawn of psychology. And that's because a lot of the fathers of psychology in, in Western medicine were atheists. They were humanists. Um, and in response to that was the... Um, was a lot of fundamentalism and a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of very rigid responses in in church history, yeah. and it created this this kind of 
adversarial at odds dynamic from the, the roots of both of these things, the, mm-hmm. the roots of religion in, in America and the roots of the concept of, of medical psychology in mm-hmm. America. And from that, obviously, as you can see in the world, there are thousands of different variations of each of those things sure. that have developed an, into our modern world. Mm-hmm. As far as the the psychology world and the and mental health world and the uh, the religious and church culture, so I think that a big part of the stigma is really that there there is that religious stigma in the church culture that you if you believe in psychology you're trying to save yourself rather than mm. asking God to save you and and there's a lot I could speak to that as far as like I I, I know Lance does too as far as that that's not the case. Um, but also I think there's, there's a, there's another element of it where just, we're a very individualistic culture and, and that has influenced both of those worlds where just regular cultural response per someone on the street is going to ask, Oh, you, you need somebody to, to talk through your problems with, you mm-hmm. need somebody to help you. Like, why aren't you just pulling yourself up by the bootstraps mm-hmm. and, and getting that done? So, and those type, the, both of those reactions that I think are based in, in fear and shame really do contribute to the stigma that happens. Mm. Yeah, that's good. How, what do you, what do you think? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, first of all, the idea of weakness is, is shamed anywhere. So, uh, but, but think about it this way, the term mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I recently was filling out an application for something. I will not mention what that is, Mm -hmm. but on there, it said, uh, have you ever been treated for mental illness? I checked no, which is, which is odd because I take medication and have been treated for mental. And the reason why I checked no was because it's not what they were really asking. What they were asking was, about what they think mental health issues are. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, no, not that, but yes, this. It's mm-hmm. technically mental health, but not the way you're thinking of it. Right. So even trying to answer the question is super weird. And I felt a little guilty about it because I was like, I'm not trying to avoid the conversation. I'm trying to avoid your stigma. I'm trying to avoid your assumptions. So think about it this way. Where in society is the phrase mental used in a positive way? So, for example, you have mental institution, (laughs) mentally ill, mentally retarded, Mm -hmm. mentally deranged, even all the way to Wayne's World. Dude, you're mental, (laughs) right? Uh, Actually, that was Bill and Ted. Um, But the the idea that when you say somebody is mental, it means Mm -hmm. that you are messed up to a degree where something is so wrong with you that you are uh, a weakling or you are somehow heavily distorted. Um. So for for the stigma of the idea that I think what Sonny was talking about was this idea of things are out of control. It's you need help. You're weak. You're dangerous. Mm-hmm. You are uh, unhinged. You're you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All that negative stereotype is all over it. In a Christian context, it's if you were a better Christian, you wouldn't be struggling with this. Right. That's the bottom line. And that's something that yeah. I've been trying to defeat since day one. Right. Yeah, I think that's important. I think I, think I completely agree with what you guys have both shared. Two, two other things that I, that I think are a part of this discussion as well is, is number one, uh, for the most part, mental health issues are invisible. Uh, yeah, sometimes absolutely. somebody who is who is really struggling, there might be, or or, or in a, you're in a conversation with somebody, and you might realize, okay, there's kind of maybe something going on here. But for the most part, it's invisible. And invisible problems, I think, we tend to uh, underestimate. Yeah, you how, downplay them exactly how real and how serious they are. And then, and you could say this about so many other things, but but I think the second issue is also uh, just ignorance. Mm-hmm. It's yep. it's for those who have never 
struggled have any for those who have not had any sort of mental health challenge uh, they don't really have a category for what it is so it's hard to empathize or appreciate it i mean i like i can even speak for myself i don't know that uh like if if you had asked me before the age of 25 you know oh someone's you know depressed or they're struggling with depression like i would just sort of be like okay like stop doing that you know like Yep. Like be happy. Like there's lots of other stuff, but I can, man, remember it like it was yesterday. The first time that I just in the middle of a normal day on campus at seminary, just wanted nothing more than just to crawl in a hole and never be seen by anybody. And I'm like, Oh, 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 Oh. okay. Like, you know, and I've had different moments throughout my life, my life, my life where I'm like, okay, this is, this is really irrational, but I don't feel good right now. You know? So just even that little little ex- personal experience was enlightening to me to be like okay this is a this is a different deal than i understood yeah yeah and and in response a little bit to both of those i think that um a big part of what you're talking just the concept of mental is is so rooted in in symptom management in yeah. our culture that it's associated with okay if there's anything mental that you're referencing it means you're out of con- you're out of control you're yes. off the charts uh ill there's something that that, yes. that that is uncorrectable about you and and that's so far from the truth and i think that like your experience brian i think a lot of people listening can honestly resonate with yeah like if you if we've lived 25 30 years in this life we and we probably know what it's like to feel something that is also irrational yeah. to feel that it's deep the experience is so much deeper and we and we know it when we feel it like oh this is what anxiety is yeah. this is what depression is and i can't talk myself out of it and yeah yeah well yeah. i think that's i think that right there is the key that idea of irrationality that it was not attached to something you can control yep so some people have a panic attack and they're in a very peaceful environment and they don't understand why because yeah. everyone yeah. from the outside is trying to look for the connectors and they're going to go oh are you nervous about no Oh, well then you're scared of no. Yeah. It's coming in and it's a it's a chemical. We'll get into this a little bit later, but yeah. for me, there's a it's a chemical issue to where irrationality it's coming from the most uh, unusual places. I think one of the things that is very challenging for people that struggle with issues is somebody says it's all in your head. When people say it's all in your head, they mean you should think differently. Mm-hmm. And as if that's going to solve it. But that's not how it works. If it was logical and rational, you could think your way out of it. But it's not logical and rational. A lot of it's chemical. So, for example, I could inject a chemical into your body and make you feel nervous. Mm -hmm. I can inject a chemical into your body. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about. Yeah. It's actually a physiological response. I can make you feel fight or flight when there's nothing even endangering you. So just knowing chemicals are spinning. Here's the other thing that I want to highlight about what you were saying about it being invisible. Mm -hmm. If you have a physical, uh, a physical damage, if you have a physical problem, if you have a physical disability, you get preferred parking. Mm -hmm. If you have a mental one, you need to suck it up. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So if I roll up in a wheelchair, people will get out of my way and we will adjust and do ADA regulations. Yeah. Right. American Disabilities Act. The idea. But if I have it in my head, nobody can see it. You don't get a placard. Mm -hmm. You don't get anything else. And they say you should just be normal because I can't see your problem. I think that's a huge point is that our culture is much more comfortable dealing with the external. We know what to do when we see it. Yep. And we watch it. But no, we don't. But we don't. That's why they don't do. like spirituality right. either. No, no mm-hmm. one would ever come up to a person with a broken leg and say, "Come on, man, it's, it's all in your leg." So, yeah, it's all in your leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Suck it, up. <laughs> yeah. it is, and it, that's you, a problem. <laughs> like I, you know, on some that. level, you're right, but on the, it, 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 it's 
that's not to say it's within our power to just immediately fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. One thing I do want to clarify before we get into this a little bit further is um, the practical uh, titles that are given to mental health issues. And you got to help me a little bit with mm-hmm. this, uh, Sunny. But we're talking about things like anxiety, depression, PTSD. Mm-hmm. We're talking about issues of schizophrenia, uh, bipolar. Um, associative disorders. I mean, that when we're talking about mental health issues, it's it's anything that ultimately affects the way that you process things, right? Yeah. And so, but we, but to make it more tangible, because people don't quite understand, like when you gave that that, I think it was a beautiful holistic definition. But mm-hmm. I think people are still trying to figure out. So when you say mental issues, what are you trying to say? So for me, it was mm-hmm. it was panic disorder. Pastor Brian just highlighted a depression issue, yeah. right? But what are some more of the practical names that we give to mental health? But issues? you covered most of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right on. So, no, hey, there's, right, there's there a go. whole there there is a whole range. It's a whole spectrum of severity yeah. too. Right. And I think that when you get into something like panic disorder, for example, yeah, you're what you're wrestling with, Lance. I think you articulate so well in material and things that you teach on is is that it's it it enters into past a threshold where where the chemical response in your brain is so conditioned yes. to respond a certain way that it doesn't even matter what the external factors are sometimes right. or or if there's any any justification or any way you can you can even start thinking different or start living different right there's might be some little thing that triggers in your brain and it, and it ends up spiraling yes and and that that's that's an example of a diagnosable disorder of panic disorder yes where you you might take medication for a season to compensate you might you might need maybe more support in certain areas of life than other areas so that there is a spectrum to to something like a diagnosable disorder like like major depressive disorder yes if you have major depressive disorder they've done a lot of research on this where it's diagnosable that you and and there's different criteria you meet to to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder Mm -hmm. it's it's something that's typically seasonal and something that if you take some medications to help with that, some appropriate ones, and you get therapy, that's the best combination for you to actually get out of that. Yes, and and there's also so that's getting into the side the side of the spectrum that's diagnosable. But what I I guess what is so what I'm so passionate about in in giving a, a holistic model of what mental health is, is that it's the same spectrum. So the people that have these diagnoses are not that much different than the people that don't. Hmm. Oh, absolutely, and and that's and and I think that the things that they're relating to, that they're experiencing, are very severe, and and they're extreme. But people that that maybe are are fortunate enough to not pass that threshold into panic disorder, that are experiencing anxiety every day, like their their experience is, I think, the concept of mental health and the the framework of you know why don't we give people with the, if we give dis- disabilities, a conscientiousness in our culture yes how do we give these people the same conscientiousness and also mm. respect the inner person the inner the inner man and woman yeah in that experience just as much as we respect the outer and mm. and i think that that that's um that when you get into that there it is a it's important to me that you know if you stress if you stress anybody out enough they will have a psychotic break absolutely that's mm-hmm. the that's that's a huge it's the very nature yeah. of torture yeah. Torture is designed to create a psychotic break. Right. And so you can press people and press people and press mm-hmm. people. There's a threshold. Right. The other thing that I think that a lot of the stigma is, and I think we mentioned it before, but I'm going to highlight it again, is the idea of it just makes you wimpy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, oh, well, you have stress. I have stress. 
I handle mine just fine. How come you're being such a wimp? That is actually the attitude of people that are not in it. Yeah. Um, or somebody's going to go, oh, so you're depressed. Yeah, I think we all get down sometimes. Right. And you go, no, no, no. We're talking about severity differences. Yeah. Um, what you're dealing with and what I'm dealing with are light years apart. Mm-hmm. That we're not even talking about the same thing. Um, and so I, I think that in society, it's one of the reasons why um, you got to remember PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's a different way to describe that. But but that can happen in soldiers mm-hmm. and it can happen in people that work for intel. Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, you know, people will associate, oh, so-and-so was in Iraq. They saw something so brutal yeah. or they engaged with such a level of stress that it began to make them have that psychotic snap. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is that it happens more commonly than we believe it's happening to a lot of our police officers. It's happening a lot to our fire department. It's happening a lot to first responders. It's also happening to soldiers all the time. And then what happens is because they're labeled a wimp for trying to address it, Mm -hmm. they shove it down further, which actually causes further break. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think, uh, certainly in those professions and even across the spectrum of life stages and mm-hmm. professions and all of that, I think we do see that because of the stigma as you've, you, as yes. you've described it. So we've talked about different reasons for the stigma in, in what ways can the church, uh, work to try to remove the stigma around mental health? Yeah. Sonny, Sonny we'll start with you. Yeah, yeah, I think What's that, the answer? The, the, the answer <laughs> to getting rid of that thing is, let me tell you. No, it's a, I think that it's a very complex question. Um, I think that it's, it's, it needs a lot of respect and attention is, is mm-hmm. that, um, I think you're right, Lance, that it is, it's a lot, the panic disorder and somebody dealing with any everyday anxiety is light years apart. So, and as far as the experience and the, the, and the treatment is different, yes. but the, um, but I think that the posture is similar. In the sense that we we have to have a posture of of grace and understanding, and and there's one I think that um, one th- one thing that stood out to me reading a lot of different materials going through through school is a, a, a guy named Viktor Frankl who wrote um, a, a book called Man's Search for Meaning. He was a, a psychiatrist in the Holocaust. He survived the Holocaust at Auschwitz. Um, after all of that extreme experience, he he went through. One of his main principles was something um, about suffering, saying that that suffering is like a gas, and that, and by saying that, he meant that it only takes a little bit to fill the entire room. So it's all it's all your perception, and mm-hmm. that, and after he experienced something otherworldly from what we might ever experience in our life, he pointed out that you know when you, when we experience suffering, it can, it abs- it absorbs our whole life, all of our attention. So I think that. The, that's an example of something that helps us give a compass where, you know, w- when that posture is and the response is, well, what's wrong with you? I'm keeping it together. Why don't you, why don't you pull it together? I think that the, the fundamental posture that we need is that we have to be careful of invalidating somebody's experience. Right. And, yeah, and that's, that's the most, and it's never a helpful response to say, you shouldn't feel that because I don't feel that. Or you shouldn't feel that because you could just think this. You have to start with where they are, yeah. and and I think that that that's a that's a huge shift in in church for a lot of reasons, and and I think that um, that there's there's so much in, in Jesus's heart and in and in the process of posturing towards 
people who are experiencing suffering yeah. that it's it's critical that we we start with compassion we start yeah. with love which is kindness patience mm. joy and and having that mercy for the mm-hmm. person where they're in their experience and i think that that some pieces of church culture have really worked against that sadly mm. where yeah. where the if you're if you're christian and you're coming to church and you're still having problems there's an implication that oh that's probably your fault yeah you're and, not doing your your work mhm yeah. yeah and yeah, that's that's my first that's my first part of that. I'm sure there's more that that might come up. Mm-hmm. Lance, how about you? Yeah, I think that um, when we read Bible stories, we forget all the mess. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea that historically churches talked about Christianity and God stuff in a very clean fashion. Well, you got to remember Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, and he made good choices. You know, what I mean, it's <laughs> it's kind of things like that. Um, and then you don't realize. Uh, this, this, there's this intense messiness of the life of David. Mm-hmm. There's this intense messiness in the life of Job. There's this intense messiness in the life of Samson and, and, and Saul. And all of a sudden you have these mental issues and you have spiritual coming in and you got, and so first of all, appreciating mess, mm-hmm. I think is a critical element that the church, I think the church is actually postured because of how Jesus has treated this and how he handles things. I think we're postured to be the number one area of help. Quite frankly, I think this Praise is an Lord. area of strength yeah. for us yeah. because we're supposed to lead with grace, as mm-hmm. you said. We're supposed to appreciate mess. We're supposed to understand process, mm-hmm. yeah. right? This whole idea, which unfortunately the church has not understood very well either. Right. So like they'll say, when did you get saved? Tell me the exact moment. Yeah. Well, they ignore process because yeah. they want it clean. I once was lost now I'm found. Let's mm-hmm. move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I once walked an aisle, so now you're saved. There's there's no l- allowance for process and mess of yeah. going. I was really into the Lord, and then all of a sudden I just walked away for 13 years, and He drew me back. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think I think telling testimonies different because a lot of times we were feeding into this. Yeah. Um, uh, hey, tell me your testimony about how you're perfect now is really what we're asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I used to have troubles. I, but yep. then I got Jesus, mm-hmm. and yep. I don't have any troubles. So I think that the church needs to do a better job of appreciating process and messiness. I also think that um, the church is positioned to talk about what's really going on, to be honest, forthright, vulnerable, transparent. I think the idea that the church uh, has the corner market on let's talk about our feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should be leading out on this. Amen. I, I think the counseling world has learned a ton from the church, and I think the church has learned a ton from the counseling world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I think also it's it's so interesting to me. I mean, I, I struggle with this so much as a pastor in so many different ways. Uh, you think about, for example, the the pressure to be to conform superficially. For yes. example, that that gets so much emphasis. I feel like in a lot of the Christian world, but it's not overt emphasis. Like there aren't, Mm -hmm. to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of pastors that are getting up on stage saying, all right, everybody, let's look like we have it all together. Right. Right. And yet there's this pressure, you know, we, we, we tend to harshly judge particular things. You know, it's really bad to curse and I'm not pro cursing, but it's really bad to curse, but we neglect the fact that you can just say awful things without cursing, right? right? You can have hate in your heart without, you know, so anyway, we tend to kind of... The unspoken yeah, culture. Yeah, the superficial gets gets all this attention, 
even though nobody's out there saying, you know what we need is to be a little more superficial with one another. <laughs> right. So, right. But when we get up, the superficiality is interesting too, because I think like what you're talking about and what I hear, Lance, is so much, is what I'm so passionate about is that God's heart and the heart that he has for his family is health. And, and, and it's also this, it's this vulnerability and interdependency yes. with him and with each other. And, and we miss that. In a lot of in a lot of our culture, sadly, whether it's whether it's secular or or Christian, but I think that the church and the Bible and what God's Spirit is guiding us towards is setting us up to lead in that. And and I love that that that's something that we're even talking about because yeah. the uh, if you're paying, if you're in connected to the mental health world at all, you've probably heard of Brene Brown. She yeah. and she has She's she amazing. has a podcast about vulnerability. Um, I I don't know her background as far as faith. I don't think she's she would profess to be Christian, but she has a lot of principles that are very aligned with the Bible that she's um, she's a researcher. And her main point is that you look at you do a lot of research within she's a um, she's a social worker doing work on societal research you do, you look at all the people in her in her sample sizes and and see which ones are thriving which mm. ones are are just living and and by all observations you can make they have they have a solid a solid family they have solid emotional experiences they have solid integration in their life it's the ones that are vulnerable it's the ones that bring their bring their vulnerability into their relationships to yeah. and make that the, the the foundation, and it's fascinating how she gets into the research of that. But I think a huge piece of of that is that in the church, vulnerability in my mind is a neutral thing, and mm-hmm. and it's and I say that because vulnerability is how healing happens. It's how God changes and miraculously grows people. Mm-hmm. It's also how abuse and trauma happen, and mm-hmm. and I think that. It's so important to have a safe culture and a safe context yeah. for vulnerability to be expressed in. And sadly, we run up against a lot of walls that we don't we don't exactly have a safe culture to be yeah. vulnerable in. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of what we're talking about with I don't I'm curious from you guys from a pastoral perspective. I, I I've been in church my whole life. I don't often hear pastors talk about something like if you're struggling, go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like those words don't really come out very much. It's it's typically it's typically kind of more focused biblically, and I understand why. But I'm, if if you guys if you guys notice the same thing or how that how that even it's the reason why I named my therapist mm-hmm. in my book. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I was trying to break that that yeah. normal mold. Oh, I see it all the time, and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you why that happens. Yeah. Um, so now for some, it's because they think that psychology is hocus pocus or mm-hmm. whatever, but that that's becoming less and less of a thing. Yeah. I think the more modern we're becoming an understanding, yeah. uh, I think that we're pretty well modernized. Uh, the number one reason why I think that pastors don't send to counselors mm-hmm. is that you're sending a person in vulnerability mm. to another person that will now have power to put into their lives and they may not be safe. That's why they don't do it, because they're not trained up to be a pastor, mm-hmm. and pastors don't trust non-pastors mm-hmm. to give them spiritual advice in a weakened state. Mm-hmm. So I think it is fear yeah. on why they don't send them out. So for example, if somebody comes to me and they're like, man, I'm really, really wrestling in my marriage, mm-hmm. I got to go see a counselor. I'm going to go, awesome. And then they go, and then at some point it comes up, are they a Christian counselor? No. Immediately I'm suspect. Yeah, that because you, that's you go. Your, that's your natural reaction. That's your natural reaction because mm-hmm. you go. I don't know what advice they're going to give them in right. the state, and from their core values, they may not share the same values. Mm-hmm. They may say, "You know what? You're right. That marriage isn't working. Why don't you go to the next one?" Yeah, 
So in the same way, I think that pastors are saying, listen, you're getting different training mm-hmm. and you have different values. And so I'm scared of the of the psychology world because I don't know what they're leading with. Right. They may well make things worse in one sense, even though they're helping in another sense. Yeah. And I, I did, did no, you have something ahead. to, I would want to speak to that too, because it is, it, I, I have. I agree that it is. It's such. It's this interesting cross section or Venn diagram where where it seems that the counseling world and the pastoral world intersect, and and it's there's a natural distrust on both sides. And and oh for sure. And it's so sad to me because yeah. it, but and, it's and speaking, legit. It is. Yeah. I, I think that, there's a reason to be afraid. I think there is, but it's and speaking to speaking to the clinical side that I that I can get into is is that. If a counselor is is trained well and they're following the ethical guidelines, just even if they're a secular counselor, they're they're obligated ethically to honor and and speak into your your spiritual beliefs. So, and that that's not that I wouldn't recommend you seeing a Christian counselor if you're Christian. I actually wouldn't, but I think that there is a there is a misunderstanding along those aisles of of that that we are against each other, and I think that. Um, I would I would push for and argue that that a counselor is closer to is closer to a medical doctor or closer to a physical therapist where it's a professional that's that's specifically trained to help in an area of life like relationships or you know or or emotions and and it's an interesting dynamic that ends up that we're sifting through where it's this okay you're we're kind of in the same realm but we're against each other and and I don't know if that's always the case well, we certainly are not against each other, yeah. but, but there is some serious danger. Yeah. Um, uh, let's say that you have a friend who is uh, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, he has identified that he is homosexual, mm-hmm. and you have two different people that he can go talk to. Do you want him to go talk to a counselor, or do you want him to talk to a pastor? Almost always, people will direct them away from the pastor. Yeah. Why? Because they're afraid of what's going to happen in that room. Mm-hmm. Is the pastor going to lead with the heart of Christ and professionalism, or is he going to lead into religious dogma? Yeah. If he lends into religious dogma, he's going to hurt someone. Mm-hmm. So most of the psychology world would go, avoid uh, the pastor. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's true. Okay, well, in this, there is legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm not saying I'm a, as a pastor. I'm telling you, there's a bunch of pastors. I'd be like, I would not send anybody there. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the same time, there's also a fear on the other side of somebody saying, you know what? Well, in psychology, we believe this. I know mm-hmm. what the Bible says, but we be- and or this idea that I'm going to affirm you in you, and it's all mm-hmm. about you, and this humanistic view comes across. Okay, that's a real problem. That's yeah. a real danger. So I understand that there's nervousness. What we need to do is realize we're actually on the same team. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, just to talk to all the pastors that are listening out there, which there might be one, <laughs> but to all the pastors out there, I believe that for Christian psychologists and Christian counselors, mm-hmm. that's their pulpit. They weren't called to speak in a local church setting they were called to minister in their unique setting, mm. but they're just as gifted, anointed, and called. They're pastors in their world, mm-hmm. and that is powerful. So I just want to affirm the counseling world in that and, yeah. and allow other people to really think through that. 
Yeah, Amen. no, I think that's really important. And uh, the issue of mistrust is significant. I mean, as you mm-hmm. as you guys were talking and then you just said it, Lance, there's that, it, yeah, there is that issue that came to my mind. Like, yeah, there's a lot of pastors. I'd be like, yeah, I don't I don't think that's a great, I, and I hate that I feel that way. But right. uh, but at the same time, I think, like you said, Sonny, to, to think of it more like sending someone to a medical doctor. Mm. On one level, if I know that a medical doctor is a quack, then I would not. You know, send, but yeah. at the same time, I also, if I'm trusting licensure boards and everything else, that mm-hmm. there's going to be a certain level of quality if I send someone to a particular place. So, uh, on some level, there probably needs to be an increase in trust all around, especially from pastors who are known for sometimes having egos and savior complexes for us to be able to say, hey, listen, what what you are needing is above my pay grade in mm-hmm. terms of training and competency uh, and skill set. So, I'm going to, because I care about you and I care about what's best, I want to refer you to somebody who's just got better training in this area than, than I do. Yeah, and I think I, that's really important. I do want to push, uh, I want you to push back on what I'm about to say, because yeah, yeah. I'm going to push back on what you said. No, uh-huh. I'm with you. Um, like, for example, I, um, I'm i going to be going in for a colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the guy's theological training. Congratulations. Thank Drew. you very much. Um, uh, like, whatever. Hey, the guy is Muslim. Hey, right on. Praise the Lord. Either way, I'm going to make sure that I don't have any polyps. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really care. So the idea of Mm -hmm. their their spiritual background is not a factor because they're not dealing with that. So here's where I'm going to push back because mm-hmm. that was initially your thought of, say, think about it a little bit more like a medical doctor that they yeah. have certain things. They're not getting into that area. However, I think they are getting into some of those areas. Mm-hmm. When you're in counseling and you're doing a lot of internal work, yeah. it is crossing over into supernatural, spiritual. It is crossing over into emotional and mental, right? I mean, so they're doing work in an area where their worldview mm-hmm. matters as to what they will be doing. So- just totally. like I would not recommend certain pastors, I would mm-hmm. not recommend certain counselors. I would do this. I would do the same. I think that the 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 sifting process is getting into just the establishing a safe environment, and yes. and and you need just like you can get a bad doctor, you That's can get right. a bad therapist, and um, I think that the only thing that that we might be pushing against each other on a little bit, which I mean, which I I completely appreciate, I think, is that. Um, I think that if your only option, if you don't have you don't have the funds to pay for a private practice Christian therapist, and you have you have insurance that lets you go see a a secular therapist, if that secular therapist is doing their job, that's right. You should be able to go to your pastor and talk to your pastor about what the Bible says and what you believe, and take that into the secular therapist. Yes, and have that therapist. In the same, there I would say that just like a doctor's job, they, the doctor doesn't heal anything, in my opinion. The doctor just sets up the right context and the right environment for the healing to happen mm. that that God that God allows to happen. Yeah, that's a good perspective. And I would say that if a if a secular therapist is doing their job, then they're going to they're going to respect your spiritual perspective and interpretation and worldview, and they're going to set up the right environment for you to connect with God through that process. Um, and that's something that I think that unless you're in the clinical world and you talk to the people about what the BBS believes and everything and and everything like you probably don't even get to think about. But coming through and pursuing licensure and knowing a lot of licensed counselors, that, that very much is their defined role, is to, is to empower the, pers- the person's personal beliefs and convictions. And I don't think that that's always the best thing. As, 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 so that's an interesting thing to get into as a therapist. If, if your personal beliefs right. guide you away from God, then I don't know if that's going to be a long-lasting solution. But, mm-hmm. um, but the counselor's job is to honor their, their, 
their role and honor the and honor the the client's personal convictions in setting up the best the best garden the be, the best soil possible for them to grow in. Um, and that's a little different than I think a lot of people see counseling, even secular counseling. Not that I would recommend you go see a secular therapist against a Christian therapist necessarily, but I think that I think that there is a little more openness in my mind than, oh, than for we always sure. hear. So, Sonny, would it be fair that? And that's really interesting to mm-hmm. me. I mean, I you know, yeah, I spoke of ignorance a moment ago. I mean, I'm just not aware of all of the different factors that psychologists have to take into account when mm-hmm. it comes to licensure and everything else. Would it be fair to say then that a a secular psychologist, uh, their job, that there is a different differentiation between mental health care and worldview formation. And we tend to maybe lump those together, totally. but in psych, but in mental health profession or for a mental health professional, those two things are very different. That's traditionally. And, and in my strong conviction, it's always been yeah. very different. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's because you, you, you're not meant to, you're not meant to, to put Aside from legality, you don't put right. your morals on a person. You don't right. put your worldview on a person from a counselor's perspective. Right. Um, it's very important that you that you don't enmesh those things, and you allow the person to go through their their normal process, their yeah. their, their their internal and integral process to, yeah. to find those things. Yeah. Now, here's a question that I wanna I, I wanna raise that uh, is not on our list of questions. Mm-hmm. So get ready. But I think this is a, this, somebody commented about this on Facebook and, I, and it's a question that I, I get from time to time and, and I'm sure you guys do as well. Uh, what do we do in a situation where a family member or a loved one or a close friend, whatever, where what we're observing in their life leads us to believe that that might be somebody who would benefit from some mental health care. I mean, we all would mm. benefit from it, but who, who maybe is in particular need for it. Uh, because it does seem like that's different than saying, hey, you've been limping for three weeks. You should go see a doctor. Like that, like that's a pretty non-offensive yeah. statement. But how do we bring up those sorts of subjects with another person mm-hmm. in, in a manner that it can be received? Or is that even appropriate? Is it even our, our place? I'd, I'd love to hear from both of you on that. We'll, we'll start mm-hmm. with you, Sonny. Sure. Yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's a big part of my job. Which is which yeah. is talking to people that that might be interested in getting some support and um, not sure what they want or what they need and talking and me talking about options as far as whether it's counseling or a pastor or um, or seeing a volunteer or a mentor something like that and I think that if you see a family member you see someone you care about who's struggling it is a very difficult thing if you can't externalize it if you can't call it. Even addiction is easier than yeah. something like basic mental health issues. You can say, "Oh, it's the alcohol," or you can say, "Oh, it's you can say it, it's it's your injury that you that you've look been what you're using, not look how much you've to. drank." It's there's sort mm-hmm. of an objective thing you can point to, right? But yeah. I think that once you get into the internal world of of what's going on for somebody, you you want to start talking about it in in a way that is separate from them, because I think that that there's some truth in that, in the sense that that the true the true them is not the one that's anxious, not the one that's mired by depression. The true them is the one that, that, that God created and intended them to be. And, and if you can start to talk about those things a little bit separately and, and talk about what are some options to get some support, I think that um, counseling in itself has a has this stigma like why do I need to pay somebody to, <laughs> to talk to my problem talk to about my problems and my things and I would argue that I would just suggest that I think that having a safe person in a safe context is a very rare thing, especially yeah. in, in our culture. And, and, that, um, and that's produced, the, the way our culture functions is that it, it 
commoditizes things. Mm, yeah. Um, and that, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a different discussion. But but it's pr- for for a counselor to see somebody to be a safe person for twenty to thirty people a week. They they have to be they have to make a living somehow. Mm-hmm. So so the the priority of having somebody who is safe and objective becomes be, be, ends up having a value. And mm-hmm. and I think that you can start to frame things that way where friend, family member, I, I care about you so much and I want you to to have a place that if you don't want to talk to me, that's I understand you need a place that's not so close, maybe not doesn't feel so so hard. Mm-hmm. There's this other person who's job is to be safe and his job is to work with you and and to work out how can you how can you start to have a a a a life that's that's more fulfilling a life that a life that's that's different than this than this stuckness that we're feeling Hmm. um and that's a place i would start yeah no that's good lance anything you'd add to that yeah absolutely what i think is so beautiful about that question is i think it is the essence of our whole conversation Mm -hmm. here's why i think it should be the exact same Hey, I've noticed that you've been mentally limping for the last three weeks. And the only reason it's not talked about in the same way is social dialogue. Is it the social dialogue? There's a stigma to it. Because I think it should be entirely appropriate of going, you have been really down lately. Yeah. And I'm calling it out the same way I would call out your limp. And you needed a doctor in the same way that the limp needs a doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any difference at all. And I think that that's what we're trying to get to is this is the beauty of social community mm-hmm. is someone else is going to see it they're going to call mm-hmm. it out so i think you should call it out i think i think if you have in your home always made fun of people that go to counselors and then you're trying to get your person to go to <laughs> you screwed it up yeah so you better have an environment that has had a high value yeah for something like that so yeah. that when it is time that you need to use that mm-hmm. right like there's some people that don't trust western medicine so you can't tell them, I think you should see a doctor. Mm-hmm. There's some people that don't like alternative medicine or Eastern medicine. You can't tell them, I want you to go see an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. Why? Because of what is the worldview stream? What's the social stream going on? Well, there's some people that in that household, you have allowed an environment to exist where counseling is seen as a weakness. Yeah, you right. know, I, not only are you buying the things that Sunny just said, you're buying two other things. You're buying a trained wise person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you go ahead and go ask in all of your friends, who do you think is most wise, right? Okay, well, you're kind of getting one of those. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The other thing that you're getting is confidentiality. Yeah. Right. So you're getting a privacy issue. It's one thing to have a safe environment. It's another thing to have a loving. You're flat out able to talk to somebody and they're not going to go post it on social media. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So there's a <laughs> bunch of stuff that you're actually purchasing yeah. when you go to a counselor. Yeah, there's some some safety in that that is hard to find in the non-legally bound to confidentiality world. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's actually it would be in, inappropriate yeah. to put the weight that you can place on a counselor yeah. to put that on your spouse. And people just want to keep it in-house all the time because they mm-hmm. think it's safer. Uh, right. I disagree. I think right. it's absolutely the opposite. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I think that counselors are, are uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that it, it's such a hard thing. And I've, I've been in situations where, I, where I've had to have that conversation with people like, hey, I, I think, you know, counseling might be right for you. And you just, it's an awkward conversation because you just never know how that individual is going to mm-hmm. receive that. I mean, that they might see it as some sort of condemnation of them or, or whatever. And and I don't think this necessarily removes the awkwardness, but I think that you can frame it in a way of, it's not that, hey, there's some you're messed up and you need someone to fix you, but it's, I want you to thrive. 
I, I love you enough that I want you to thrive. Yeah. And what I'm observing is you're not thriving. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me yep. that that, that are, talking this through with a professional could give you some kind of tools in your tool belt to help you thrive. I mean, is that fair yes, to say? Yes, that, that, I think that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I want to add a couple things to this conversation. Um, one of the things, going back to what I think that the church should should continue to teach, or actually anybody should continue to teach, is that God built us with at least five dimensions that we engage with. So emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, social. Okay, so mm-hmm. somebody's going to go, well, say those again. Emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, social. God has given us gifts. God has given us tools. God has given us helps in every category. So one of the things that I'm trying to champion is let's work with the right wound with the right tool, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because what's happening is in the church, there's not a lot of cross-training. It's the, I have one tool and it should work for everything, right? So for example... Um, for emotional issues, I believe the Lord offers a lot of tools in the toolbox of abiding, meaning mm-hmm. that you're spending time getting your heart ministered to, yeah. that you're actually dealing with a lot of pouring out, yeah. getting stuff off your chest. I think that God uses certain things for that. For mental, it's identity. Mm-hmm. For a lot of mental issues, it's remaking. You are a child of God. It's that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. For physical, there's a lot of talk about health. Uh, You can go, well, I should just pray more. No, you need to diet and exercise, quite frankly, because (laughs) it is a fact. And then the spiritual, you have issues like prayer. That's a tool that we Mm -hmm. use for spiritual issues. For social issues, the issue is community. Mm -hmm. God gave us community. So when we keep trying to use one tool and say it's good for all of it, you're downplaying what God built you for and what he's equipped you with. And so to tell somebody you need to go to counseling, it's saying use the right tools and gifts that God gave you to handle the right area. That's it. I don't think there should be any stigma about that. The other other piece that I'll I'll share um, is that a big problem in the church is that we are reading things on the surface of the Bible— and assuming we know what he meant. So, for example, Jesus said, do not fear. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back and do a study of all the times God says, do not fear, it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus uses this phrase, don't be anxious. So people assume he's talking about anxiety. He is not. Mm. He is talking about worry. And so worry is actually a different category than anxiety. So so uh, fear would be if I jumped out and went, boo, and you went, okay, stop reacting. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Fear is actually a necessary response mm-hmm. to keep you healthy. Right. Oh, my gosh. If I walk in that fire, I'm going to get burned. That fear is supposed to keep you healthy. Yeah. So it, God wasn't saying shut off your fear. God was not telling you don't, uh, hey, control your chemical level. That's not what he's saying. Mm-hmm. What he was saying is if you allow your mind to go into bad patterns, I need you to line it up with reality. Yeah. And what God speaks to is reality, not perception. So he'll say things like, there's no reason to fear. What he means is, is in reality, there's no reason to fear. Yeah. But that's not your reality. Yep. Your perception's creating your reality. Yeah. Go ahead. And, I, and I've, I've, um, I resonate with this so much just because I think that I, I've tracked along similar lines where it is, it's, it's the, there's this difference in our, what, when we hear fear, what, yes. what the, the, we hear that we got to stop feeling anything negative. And, mm-hmm. and if that was true, then then Jesus is not a good example. 
<laughs> and it's a great I, point. I think that yeah, um, beautiful point. I think that that that's where we have to find our compass. That's where we have to. That's what we have to be drawn towards. Is what did Jesus do? What did he do with those emotions? He felt them intensely. Yes, he yeah. sweat blood. Yes, yeah. like he. I would say that he he had fear and even uh, apprehension, severe, Absolutely. severe negativity about having to die and yes. go to the cross. But what he did with it was was so profound is yes. that he he submitted it rather than worrying about it he took it to god and he and he submitted it to faith he said lord your will not mine yes rather he, than how can i control it yeah. but he was handling all of his social dimensions well it yeah. says and he got in the boat and fell asleep Notice he didn't pray more for energy. <laughs> he actually just rested. Yeah. You're like, guys. And then yeah. it says he he withdrew and isolated. Yeah. Why? Because he socially needed isolation time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece I want to say is it's not just in the fear and anxiety. It's on the depression side as well. Definitely. Because it says, Jesus said, I want your joy to be full. And people go, well, if your joy is supposed to be full, you shouldn't be depressed. And you go, you missed it again. Right. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about chemical levels. He was right. talking about the idea of, oh, I don't have enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have enough. And he's like, hold yeah. on. You have a ton. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Yeah. That tank should be full. We're not talking about that. And so yeah. people go, I shouldn't be depressed. So yeah. anyway, I just yeah. wanted to make it no, practical. That's good. That's good. So we're running out of time, but I have two more issues I want to I want to hit on before we we close. Um, first is so according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, one in four Americans suffer from some sort of mental illness any any given year. So that's a lot. It should be four and four. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here, here's my, and, and something you alluded to a Concur. moment ago, referring to, to Jesus and taking a nap and everything else. Uh, so if one in four have a some sort of diagnosed or treated mental illness, mm-hmm. I think four in four of us have a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of depression yes. or some nervousness, mm-hmm. you know, just different, different things. So I want to talk for a second about self-care. And Sonny, you as a as a as a therapist and, and, and being in that world, what is what role does self care? We're not talking medication here. We're yeah. talking lifestyle rhythms and practices. What role does self care have to play in mental health? Oh, it's a huge role. I think that that's that's the foundation for for anybody, no matter what part of the spectrum you're on. We're talking about whether it's an extreme, you're you're past the threshold where where maybe there's enough brokenness in in the physical makeup of our body that mm-hmm. and, unless God heals it, we need some medication. You still need to have a foundation of self care, and and that yeah. that goes all the way down to somebody that that is blessed with with something that you know a, a relatively within normal bounds of, of functioning neurochemical um, makeup, y- you will degrade very quickly if you mm-hmm. don't have self-care. And, and I think that the, the concept of self-care um, has to be along the same lines of our concept of mental health mm-hmm. is, is that we're, we're, going to, we're, we're going to integrate and we're going to um, acknowledge every, every part of our life in a, in a, with a spirit of grace and a spirit of love towards ourselves and towards the other people in mm-hmm. our life. So it's, I think that if you, I think that if you don't have that perspective and you don't have the concept of, okay, I need to, I think that the one, one Bible verse that speaks to this very profoundly is, is the way Jesus summed up the law. And he said that you need to love your God and you need to love others as you love yourself. Mm-hmm. It's always very interesting to me that he, she chose as, 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 the, as the the word there to inextricably link those things yeah that if you and it implies I think two things in my mind that it, it, you can't love others if you're not loving yourself mm-hmm. 
and that if you're if you're loving others you need to love yourself so it's it's it goes it goes both both directions mm-hmm. and i think that jesus falling asleep on the boat is such an example of that that there's times that he walked away from the crowds and mm-hmm. and then the crowds followed him <laughs> and yeah. he and and he didn't he didn't get stuck in this conflict of oh i'm i'm frustrated you followed me now i'm just going to do some i'm going to do something anyway just to be a good person he he felt in that moment the emotion come up of compassion it says mm-hmm. he felt compassion on them and he said okay i'm going to i'm going to give you what i have yeah. and then there's other times he walked into the desert and there there's no one that was going to follow him there's yeah. other times he went into the boat and he just fell asleep because mm-hmm. that's what he needed to do and yeah. i think that those those are so it's it's so profound to keep those things tied together that we we yeah. have to start with ourselves yeah. in order to love other people and we love ourselves the way god loves us mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, ultimately, uh, I've been thinking a lot about self-care lately in my own life, is, mm-hmm. is you cannot be the best version of yourself for others if you're not caring for yourself. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. You can work 70 hours a week because you are just, you know, you want to be about others and serve and all that stuff, but yeah. you know what? You're going to die on the vine, and those are not going to be 70 quality hours for very long, right? Yeah, you're not going to be the best husband or spouse. You're not going to be the best parent if you're not taking stock of, okay, what do I need? You know, in all those different categories you mentioned, Lance, what do I need to do to keep some measure of health in these different areas? Um, so I think that's just an important part of self-awareness is recognizing what do I need diet-wise? What do I need in yes. terms of sleep? What do mm-hmm. I need in terms of rest that is actually uh, rejuvenating as opposed to just time not spent working? Yeah. And, and just to be conscious of that and not feel like it's selfish. Because laziness is selfish, but self-care is not. Because no, self-care it's wisdom. Is- yep. And it, the thing is, and on all those dimensions, those five dimensions, they're interwoven. Yep. So, um, for example, I, uh, I went to a concert the other night, mm-hmm. and uh, it ended up I did not get to sleep till 1.40 in the morning. I'm a 46-year-old man. Congratulations. What the world am I doing? So my point is, that was a couple days ago. I'm still affected by it. So it's going to affect, I'm in a funk today. Like I got, I don't feel right today. Why? Because we're integrated. All that stuff affects something else. So if I, I can take a flyer once in a while on that. But if I was not, but for self-care, you have to bring it back in. Why? Because it's going to affect every other other dimension mm-hmm. in your life. So you're saying a concert seven nights a week where you're up till 140 would not be a good thing. It's a horrific <laughs> idea. <laughs> That's a very Even bad if you're idea. a teenager. Okay, uh, last question, and we could do a whole episode, I think, on just this question, but instead we're going to try to cover it with you two answering it very briefly. Uh, and that's simply this. Uh, what can the church do to help those who are suffering from uh, significant mental health challenges? Uh, How can we create welcome? How can we create space? How can we uh, just be a a loving presence in the midst of of mental health challenges that could that are difficult not only for the person suffering, but can be difficult for for others as well? What what do we do with that? Yeah, with with severe severe challenges specifically. I think that the most important thing in our is is what we do in our own hearts. Hmm. Is is the way I would put that is is that we don't dehumanize them. Mm -hmm. I I think that the and, and if we can address that we there's there's so much that flows from that and it becomes so much easier in how we view and how we respond yeah. to somebody who's who's struggling significantly with a mental illness yeah um and, and i think that part there's all kinds of ways to help with that with and and one begins with just acknowledging that 
they're they're not that different from us. There there's there are a few we are a few steps away from having a mental breakdown like we talked about. Like it's <laughs> you put the right yeah. circumstances around us, we we will start seeing things. We yeah. will start we will we will lose contact with reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that has a lot to do with our um humanity and the broken the broken world. So if if that if somebody is in such a uh, is such a state that they're 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 mentally ill and they and they can't even have a regular conversation with somebody for example i think a response of of humane compassion is appropriate it's mm-hmm. it's where that this is this is a child of god whose body and physical physical experience is so broken that that their their spirit doesn't even get expressed all right. the time like yeah. and and um, but that, but there is opportunity in that that it would blow us away. The more you connect with with people who are mentally ill, that, yeah. that you can you can see you can see who they are and who God sees them as. Yeah, no, so. that's good, Lance. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be the simple answer of we got to love on them, and that's going to practically look like uh, you got to listen. Mm-hmm. I, I think the first thing we need to do is listen because there's stuff that's going on and some of it may not be mental health in a heavy way. Mm-hmm. It could be something of, I just need affirmation mm-hmm. and it can heal my heart. I think that we need to be, um, in, we need to encourage people to talk about their stuff yeah. uh, and, and not have a, oh my gosh, what did you just say? You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Let's have some good responses. And the other thing is we need to pray with them and we need to pray with them, not just for the power of prayer, but pray with them because in prayer, they'll tend to begin to talk about it. Like there's an uh, appropriate space for them to talk about what they're really going through. Mm -hmm. So it is an opening to having a deeper dialogue. So that would be my thoughts. Yeah. Great. I have thoughts I'd like to share too, but for the sake of time, we're just going to leave it with the brilliance from the two of you and not have me bring (laughs) it down a level here with my, uh, my random ideas, but uh, Sonny, thank you. For joining us today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank Super you, good man. stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lance, as well. Uh, thank you to those of you who listen. And uh, if you feel like counseling is something that would benefit you, we do have our soul care professional counseling ministry here at Bridgeway. If you go to www.bridgeway.church and then click the care and compassion tab at the top, you can find information about soul care and how you can get connected there. Um, Otherwise, there are all sorts of other counselors you can look at, but certainly we are pro counseling here at Bridgeway and would encourage you to look into that if that's something you would benefit from. Thank you to those of you uh, who listened. We sure appreciate it. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you to Lucian on audio, Brenton on video, Jeff and Montana who are in here fixing stuff before we got here. You guys do the hard work. We do the easy stuff. Thanks guys. Appreciate you. All right. We'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of Engaging Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.